Okay, we come today to the last chapter in Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, this chapter, you know it if you read it, 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 it basically is um, his greetings predominantly to different members of that, that church and the, the final exhortations as he closes the letter. I mean, because of that, there's not just a, a great deal of deep theological truth to glean from it, but there are a couple of things that we can note from this mainly list of names. Uh, so let's take a quick look. Because you may begin reading this chapter and be tempted to be bored uh, by it or skip, skip over it uh, by the first half of it. You look at it, like I said, it's just a list of names, people you've never heard of, and many of whom you'll not see again in the New Testament. But you know the funny thing about this is, though, is that Paul himself had never actually met these believers to whom he was writing. You'll recall back in the first chapter, Paul expressed his desire to come and see them, but he said in Romans 1.13, he had thus far been prevented. Paul expressed that same desire again in the last chapter to come and see them, Romans 15.23 and following, but at the time of his writing this letter, um, he had never met them face to face. And yet, notice how familiar and acquainted he nevertheless appears to uh, be with them. He expresses an affection for them that we ourselves don't often consciously feel or express for believers in other churches or in other parts of the world. What, what gave rise to this affection for the Romans and Paul, though he had never met them? It seems like the overwhelming answer in these first few verses of the chapter is the kinship they had and that we have by uh, mutual faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Though they had never met, they had a very real kinship in the Lord. Consider how this theme appears over and over again in these early verses. In verse 2, Paul urges the, the Roman church to welcome Phoebe in the Lord. In verse 7, Paul acknowledges um, Andronicus and Junia and recognizes that they were in the Lord even before he was. To Paul, um, Ampliatus was in verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, Urbanus was a fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, Apelles was approved in Christ. He wanted to greet the members of Narcissus's family Verse 11, who were in the Lord. Trophina and Trophosa were recognized as workers in the Lord, as well as Persis, who, in verse 12, worked hard in the Lord. And finally, Paul greeted Rufus and his mother, both of whom he identified in verse 13 as chosen in the Lord. So you get the point. In the Lord, in Christ, uh, are phrases that appear nine times in 13 verses. It, it was his keen kinship uh, sense of kinship in the gospel of Jesus Christ that motivated his deep love for them even though he had never met them Paul wasn't weird to think about them that that way though it's it's reality those who are truly born again by the Holy Spirit and are saved in Christ are more genuinely and eternally united than in any other relationship on earth every other relationship you have in this earth is temporary and passing away. Those relationships you have based on your mutual faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will never come to an end. Therefore, it is absurd that those are the relationships that we so seldomly 
seek intentionally to nurture in our lives. We view the church as the place we go for a couple of hours a week to worship instead of the people with whom we share eternity. <laughs> Genuine accountability relationships are few and far um, between in, in congregations today. And interaction with um, members of other churches is even more scarce. We would do well to be encouraged by Paul's greetings here in this final chapter to be more intentional about fostering our relationships with our brothers in Christ, not only in our own congregation, but in other congregations around us. Finally, um, let's think about the final exhortations here. Yesterday in chapter 15, we saw Paul strongly emphasize harmony and unity in the body of Christ for the glory of Jesus in it. We talked for a, a bit of time about that. In one of his final exhortations in chapter 16, he comes back again to that theme from the other direction. Whereas in the last chapter, he exhorted everyone to pursue harmony in the Lord. In this chapter, he exhorts the believers to watch out for and beware of those who cause divisions in the church. That's Romans 16, 17. He says that there will be those in the church whose goal appears to be to create obstacles. That's, that's his words those who cause divisions and create obstacles. And, uh, and, and Paul urges them to avoid those people. Paul frighteningly describes these division makers saying, such person, persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Verse 18. Those who cause divisions in the church rarely come out and say that's what they're doing. I'm here to create <laughs> obstacles. Um, they often work hard to, to say the right things, to hide their true intentions. In response, Paul urges those believers to be faithful and obedient, uh, to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil, he says, as he promises them that Satan will not have his way in the church. This is a theme that he will pick up again in the next letter that we're going to start tomorrow, 1 Corinthians, as he assures them that the work of those who would cause problems and divisions in the church will soon enough be uncovered by the Lord and revealed for what it really is. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. In the meantime, let's, let's make the glory and honor of Jesus Christ our ultimate and constant aim in all our actions in his church. That's his final words in verses 25 to 27. God will take care of all the rest. And I hope you have enjoyed your reading through this great letter uh, of Paul to the church in Rome. And tomorrow we'll make our way over to Corinth.